Hello and welcome to JBL Radio. Uh, this is an unsupervised colluders edition. I'm your co-host, RKG, General Manager of the Pittsburgh Vipers, also known as Michael Miller. And with me, as always, is Andrew Taylor, otherwise known as Bedouin General Manager of the Baltimore Bullets. Good evening, Andrew. Good morning, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here as uh, for our second, well, first of two podcasts this week. That's right. We're coming at you twice. And uh, the, most of the Americans have survived daylight savings time, although uh, the coronavirus is quickly spreading. So we got to get as many podcasts in as possible before the inevitable closing of the world. So glad we could join. Glad we could be together as the ship goes down in the Titanic. Am I Kate Winslet or are you Kate Winslet in that scenario? Trying to figure this out. Oh, no, you're not getting the door. I'm getting the door. You're getting the door. You're getting the door. Well, that's the other slight tangent. Is 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 Rose in the Titanic secretly a dick? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. There was I enough room on that door for two people. I'm just saying. Yeah. Okay. So we started off with uh, some COVID. We started off with some COVID nineteen and Titanic humor. Uh, it's a little bit of a different uh, different start from my usual joints. Um, but let's uh, start off with what we're actually talking about tonight. So tonight's episode is small sample size theater. And basically uh, tonight we're looking at the ridiculously small sample size that we have to date. Most teams have played six to seven, six to eight games. I think it's pretty much the, the majority would fall into. Yep. Uh, and essentially what we're looking at is we're going to start off with looking at some teams that have surprised us. Um, I'm going to take three teams from the West uh, and Mike will pick three teams from the East that have uh, surprised us either because they're overperformed or underperformed. And we'll just have a quick chat about those. Um, we don't want to step on our panic index too much by doing it any more extensively than that. And then after that, we'll move on to uh, some uh, players that surpri have surprised us uh, based on the very limited sample size we have. And that's where we'll get a little bit more spicy and a bit sillier, I would imagine. So uh, do you want to go first with your picks from the Eastern Conference? Sure. Uh, and I'm not sure how we can get any sillier, but, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely a slippery slope. So we'll start it this evening and we'll go even sillier next week. So um, do we want to take it, I talk about a team and then you talk about a team, or do you just want me to go through all three of my picks? And then you no, go let's, through your let's do, No, let's do, the, let's do the Renegades and then I'll do, then I'll do one of mine. All right, fair enough. So um, the first team that somewhat interested me uh, that I want to talk about is the New York Renegades, who got off to a pretty scintillating 7-1 and one start. And what's curious about this team is basically how they've been doing it. Because the offseason moves that they made, basically uh, removing Josh Damasca, bringing in Donnell Wallace, moving Tyree Chappell, bringing in uh, Deron Ellaby, who didn't exactly, you know, no one was exactly talking about that LB move as a huge deal. Um, but the thought going into this season was that there's going to need to be some time for the system to work itself out. They changed coaches this year. Instead, they got off to a really hot 7-1 start, and they've been doing it with defense. Um, last year, to give you an idea, in 2027, their defensive rating was 13th. This year, it is third, and Deron Ellaby has discovered the Trayvon Miller secret sauce for early defensive play, and uh, at least at this point, is running away with the Defensive Player of the Year award, um, and you have, De you have uh, Devon Harrell, and you have Tyree Chappell, who are playing at uh, all-star type levels. 
So the question I have for you, first media question, Andrew, is I have some thoughts that I'll get into, but do you, is this sustainable at seven and one? What do you expect? I, I won't speak to the defense so much because I think defense at this point of the season is, is really a byproduct of who you've played, right? When you have like a, when you have a really small sample size, the O and D ratings move around a hell of a lot, you know, give them two quick games against the Huskies who I am pretty confident they haven't had to play yet. And their D rating is probably not going to look quite as healthy as it has today. Um, so I guess that the defense will will fluctuate based on who they've played. But what has surprised me actually is there are some things that I think are probably sustainable, but I'd be a little bit worried about them offensively in some ways, but I think it could potentially even out. I think that if you look at uh, a few of their players offensively, uh, particularly Ellaby himself uh, and Slattery, I think it's fair to say that their offensive production is probably slightly unsustainable. Um, I'm pretty confident that Ellaby's not going to finish the season with an uh, effective field goal percentage of over 700 and that Slattery will probably drop a little bit from 600. Yeah. Well, and, and I think if you're looking for somewhere on offense, they could improve. Ranchad Fox has been horrendous. Uh, 6.9 PER, Negative 7.0 box plus minus, negative 21.6 net rating. Um, And uh, let's see, plus minus is negative 5.6. So um, that's not great, Bob. Uh, And I don't don't know if we're going to see immediate improvement on that, but uh, it is pretty impressive that they've been winning these games while kind of dragging, dragging him along the way. Well, it's actually kind of funny to me because, I mean, there is a serious... There is a serious case that Fox should be benched in favor of Fox. <laughs> Sibling rivalry. <laughs> no, but like, but seriously, like based on the performance to date, you know, like, yes, uh, it's clear that uh, like Fox is contributing more in the way of assists because obviously he is like a, you know, a, a combo, a true combo guard versus a swingman. But like, with the exception of that, I think it's fair to say that Fox is the better player offensively and defensively right now. Um, so, you know, at, at the very least, you'd argue that there should be uh, a few more minutes from Fox could be given to the other Fox. Well, and something that's somewhat interesting is that the lineups with both Foxes on the court, um, there's a few of them that do seem to work out pretty well. Interestingly, the one that looks the best, at least based, again, small sample size theater, is uh, there's a lineup with Ron Shad at the point guard, Xavier at the shooting guard, Jerry McRae, Omar Bishop, and Brandon Weir. So a bunch of backups, but they're a plus 14 with a 50.1 net rating, which would be their third best lineup, again, small sample size. So, um, and their best lineup, which has only played five minutes, uh, which has a 75.5 net rating, again, small sample size, does have the two Foxes along with Harrell and Ellaby. So... I want to see. I want to see the actual, the lineup. I'm actually most interested to see is actually that lineup with Slattery, i.e. the starting lineup with um, Wallace out and Fox in, because Wallace hasn't been as bad as Ronchard, but he hasn't been great. Yeah, I, I think that um, I would probably mix up some of the. I, I mean, small sample size theater need to wait it out a little bit, um, and they've won seven. They're seven and one right now, so it's been somewhat working. 
Um, although you look at their next couple of games that they have coming up, they have at St. Louis, but then they have Cincinnati at Chicago, St. Louis, and the Drones again. So, and then the Kings again. Don't um, worry. Like, it's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a reasonable run here where they've got the next seven games where they're more likely to go 500 <laughs> than they yeah. are to keep this kind of winning percentage up. Yeah, but I mean, the most important thing about them at this point is they're beating the teams they should. Um, that Seattle Thunder, I think, we'll look back on as that's a nice win. Um, they lost to the Mustangs at home. That's not by ten points. You'd want the margin a little bit closer, but it's not exactly um, you know a, a bad loss. So I, I think the I think the Renegades they've put themselves in a pretty good position considering we both had them out of the playoffs at the start of the year. To uh, they're they're certain. I'd rather be in their position than the Crusaders' position. That's what I'll say. Look, I think they've at look. Given that we thought they might miss the playoffs, they have started in a much stronger position, and there are teams that we thought were going to be better than them, particularly like the Huskies in the same division, for instance, who have started quite slowly, and now have to like play catch up, and that's just a good position to be in at this point of the year. So that's the Rens. Do you want to talk about your first team that interested you? Uh, yes, the first team I wanted to speak to was the Austin Rockets, who have didn't make the playoffs last year. Uh, and sorry, they made the playoffs with an under five hundred record last year. And I must admit, I projected them to finish ninth in the West this year. But projecting them to finish ninth is a uh, is a fairly significant difference uh, between there's a fairly significant difference between that and finishing uh, starting one and six on the season. Um, what I have found interesting is that. The team last year was had that had the same. Basically, offensively, it's pretty much neutral. They're nineteenth now; they were seventeenth last year, but their defense was twenty third, and their defense has just kind of collapsed. And it's they just as a team, they're not really doing either really particularly well. But I think realistically, what you're seeing is a team that has kind of nothing beneath their starting lineup. So, uh, also, also, or significant depth issues, and, and what I'm speaking to is they have a their top lineup, which is their starters, which is Evans, Bush, Buchanan, Jeffries, and Sprinkle, is has played 127 minutes, which is one of the highest lineups in the league uh, so far for the year, um, and they're plus and they're a net rating of 5.8. It's nothing amazing. Like, don't get me, don't get all excited. I, it really isn't anything that exciting. Um, and their second lineup has played 50 minutes, then that's positive. And then after that, it's pretty much a bloodbath. Like, just there's there's kind of like no combination of any of the other parts that kind of kind of work. And they're just for some reason they seem to be able to get away with it last year to a degree that they haven't been able to to this point this year. You know. I, I managed to put them away. I would have expected to lose that game on day one. Uh, you know, the drones put them away, the Cyclones, the Warriors. But, like, you know, in terms of games they should have been able to win, I, I would have expected them to be able to beat Baltimore. I would have expected them to be able to beat the Stars. Um, and, you know, they lost to the Barons as well. Like there's, So there's probably three games there already that I, I see that I would have, ex- going into the season, I would have expected them to win. Um, I think probably the one small sample size theater part of it that's really significant is, is Evans has been shit. Like, yes, the starting lineup has been positive, 
Um, but it's been dramatically less positive than it has been in the last couple of years because right now Evans has got an effective field goal of basically 400 flat, where it's usually up at like 550. Uh, and he's never been a low turnover player. Like he's a very ball dominant guard who takes a lot of shots, a high usage rate in a pace and space system. But I'm going to go out and limb and say 5.4 turnovers per game isn't great. I agree. <laughs> so look, I think... There's some signs here that there are certain things that will self-correct. Look, I don't, much like Evan started off like lava hot last year. He started off like, you know, frigid Antarctic cold this year. Obviously, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. That will stabilize. Um, but yeah, I, I, they're going to, I feel like if it doesn't, if he doesn't get out of that slump pretty soon, which will allow their starting lineup to be more dominant and will offset the, the bad bench situation, which I don't really see as an immediately fixable. Um, they're going to find themselves in a really big hole. So they probably are the, the most concerning of the six teams we're going to talk about in terms of like they need to correct relatively quickly. Well, and I think my concern for the Rockets is that some of the other teams we're going to talk about tonight um, have some bit of upside or some bit of small sample size theater that we can tell people just relax. It's going to work itself out with the Rockets. Even if you presume Isaiah Evans, who has been terrible, um, you know, plays better, that's not going to improve their defense, which is uh, 32nd in the, 30th in the league right now. <laughs> and uh, it's so bad. It's worse than not imaginary teams. It's exactly. It's it's really bad. And that's the thing is that it's not that this team is losing. They are getting blown out. Uh, they have the. They still have the worst point differential in the league at this point. Before yesterday's cement was like negative sixteen point two. Now it's up to negative ten, which is still like yesterday was by far the worst. This year it's still now. Now after last sim, it's now just the worst behind the Scorpions. But this is a team that had playoff aspirations. It's not a team that. Uh, you know, was on the rebuilding curve or had younger players like Phoenix that they just know that they're going to be bad this year and they're just looking to build cohesion. This is a team that realistically wanted to make the playoffs. And you shouldn't, you shouldn't see it. You shouldn't be seeing a net rating that's in double digits unless the team is tanking, essentially. And, and, and the other thing is, too, is that the, the reason that they have been playing like that was kind of our concern going into this season and it's their wings. Like, Sasha Vidmar has been terrible. John Rashaw has been the worst uh, worst player on the team. And, um, I mean, even playing Trent Buchanan out of position has not really worked itself out this year. And there's no, there's no wing coming back from injury that's going to help bolster this team. They don't really have assets to trade for a wing to kind of shore that up. So how are they going to get better? You know, that, that's, that's the concern. That's the problem. Yep. Shall we move on to your next team? Yes, shall we? And we will talk about the uh, suddenly looking a little bit better than they were, Chicago Jailbirds, who are three in six uh, as of this podcast. Um, they had uh, the late season run last year where they made it all the way to the conference finals uh, before slipping to the Cincinnati Kings. And they have gotten off to a they got off to a relatively dreadful start to a uh, one and five record before yesterday's sim, and uh, however they do have some interesting good wins 
that they've added to their pelts. Specifically, they beat the two JBL finalists last year, the uh, Los Angeles Fireballs and the uh, Cincinnati Kings. So when I look at this team and trying to figure out what's going on, because your first inclination is that uh, Jason Cheney has finally died and gone to point guard heaven or hell, depending on how you look at it. That's not quite been the case. Um, he's actually been playing significantly better. He's now second on the team in PER, although his net rating is still a negative 9.4, um, and his plus minus is pretty bad. He's still been performing, um, although there's still a little bit of concern there. Maybe he's not as great as he was last year. But the big concern on this team so far is, again, their wings. Um, Sheldon Granger has just been horrible, uh, 6.8 PER, a negative 25.1 net rating, and is a minus 7 on the floor. And Dennis Howard has not played that great either, although he's been starting to play a little bit better. So unlike the Rockets team we just discussed, though, I think that the Jailbirds issues are small sample size. I think those wings will play better. They're younger players, I think more prone to a little bit of um, hot streaks, cold streaks, etc. So I do think, and, and they've started to show in how they've been playing the last, um, the last couple of days, they've been showing that they're seeing a little bit of the daylight and they're playing a little bit better. Clarkson has been pretty good. Clark has been surprisingly really good, uh, a true plus on the floor. So he's still kind of surviving and thriving. So Jailbirds are three and six. They're right outside the playoff picture right now. I think they'll probably, we'll look back at this about 50 games from now as just a little bit of a blip. Uh, and you'll see them play better as the season goes on. Yeah, look, for me, it's a case of with this team, it's, their young wings, in terms of performance, haven't taken a step back. Carter has started the season shooting really badly in his usual bench role. Uh, Cheney is not being particularly efficient with the ball in the ways that he has in the past. And they've just had a shit schedule. Like, you can, you can criticise them for losing to the drones on the road a little bit. But Barron's on the road, probably not. But then they lost to the Huskies. They lost to the Wrens. They lost... You know, they beat the Kings, but they lost to the Mustangs. They lost to the Vipers. You know, they're not losing to bad teams. Yeah. And the nice thing is that they went on the road on the Devils and just plastered them by like 24 points. So typically, if you're winning blowout games, um, it's not like the Devils had some kind of injury or significant injury. That's usually a good sign. You're probably, you, you just got bit a little bit by small sample size at the beginning of the year. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so I believe it's my turn again, and we'll talk about the Oklahoma City Barons. Um, the Barons are an interesting one because last year they improved a reasonable amount. Um, and that improvement last year was driven very much on the defensive end of the court, and they ended up finishing 17th, which doesn't seem like a lot, but the season before, it had been like 28. That was the argument I primarily used to trade them Clarkson. This year, shit gone flipped, and basically, they're 28th in defense so far, but they are 7th in offense. And there's probably a few things that are driving that, that I'm, I wonder how sustainable they actually are. Um, Dutch is looking 
dramatically more careful with the ball season to date so far than we've seen him before. Uh, I think he's basically cut his turnover rate, you know, close to in half from last year. Uh, and that's definitely a, uh, a positive driver of the O rating so far. Uh, Ray Washington is shooting, you know, 600, you know, for effective field goal of 600. There's a few other players who are similarly, you know, performing at just a much higher level than normal. I think some of that will stabilize. And when that does, I could see that taking the offense down a few steps. But this team does look like they are more improved than we perhaps expected them to be. Um, although I still think there's definitely some room to tighten up the lineups uh, and probably even out the shot distribution a little bit, which might actually, you know, even out the level of regression we're going to see on a few of those players. I still think Vandenberg taking 23.9 shots per game is not the way to build a winning team. Yeah, and I don't know if I would play Vandenberg at the small forward position. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. Uh, I don't think he's playing that. How much is he playing at small forward of his, of his court time? That's one thing I didn't have a good look at the percentages. I can't remember. Well, I will take a, I will take a good look at that, but I'll tell you by my initial. I've already got him open. He's playing thir- he's playing forty percent of the time at small forward. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, I, I think that's more. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, and the lineups he's been playing that at have been largely negative. So... He's trying to get. He's, I understand why he's doing it. He's trying to buy more time for Phillips. But if I had to play one of the two at small forward, and I wouldn't want to play either. I'd play Phillips because at least he's taller and has a bigger wingspan. I kind of like to see uh, Gray, their rookie, play at the power forward position a little bit too. I think that that may open up some spacing a bit more um, for that offense to basically help that out. I agree with that. I think the problem problem with that so far is just that Washington has been playing really well. Well, And they are are also feeding some degree of minutes into – into Maxwell and Mitchell as well. Um, if the team is going to buy some space for Gray to play some minutes at small forward, they're going to have to probably um, bury one of those two. Well, maybe he's been playing individually well, but he's been a negative. Uh, he's been a minus player on the court so far. I think he he and Hooker have have um, on off courts of negative three point oh, negative three point six. Um, so they've both been minus players on the court and they've been on the court together a lot. And I'm, so I think there's a way you could stagger that and, you know, Washington being a power forward center, what position should he play, Andrew? I'm going to go out and say he should play, um, center. Yep. So I think there's a way you could stagger that where you can keep them both on the floor for the same amount of minutes, but try some things out to help your spacing and improve your, you know, improve maybe your overall on-off court a little bit more. Yeah, look, I, I don't think, you know, at this point of the season you need to be playing. I mean, Hooker's only playing 31 minutes a game. You know, that's 17 minutes right up there for Washington, and you give him maybe 13 minutes at power forward and then feed some more of that time. As I said, I just don't think you can keep feeding Washington some minutes at power forward plus Mitchell plus Maxwell. I think you probably need to, to choose there. And that's not a problem. You just probably need to choose. And to be honest, Jamie Gray, and I, and I think we'll get onto this on some other teams that we talk about, is that Jamie Gray is the one with the ceiling and the actual potential. 
the other guys are never going to have the potential to be all stars. Maybe feed the time into the guy that could actually be something special for you. Yep. Uh, and we can move on to the next team, which is the Nashville Stars, who are four and three as of this time in the podcast. Now they got off to a pretty hot uh, four and one start uh, that make them look pretty impressive. But then they have dropped their last two to the Detroit Mustangs at home, and then. Uh, going to the Pittsburgh Vipers, both were double-digit losses. They do have an impressive overtime win over the Houston Lightning at home. Um, so looking at this team, I think we both had them out of the playoffs. Um, they're still working in a lot of younger players. They've got a new coach they've got to work into. Um, and you're starting to see some regression already. Uh, looking at this team and who's really been contributing, uh, at least to the hot start, you have to really start, I think, with Colton Gregory, who has been a uh, has been somewhat healthy despite being a little bit nicked up at the beginning of the year. His PER is not good, but overall, I think you could see a really strong impact, at least on the defensive part of the ball. Um, I think Kieran Worthington has looked somewhat solid. Um, big problems that we've been talking about this team in the past. Jordan Timberlake, although he's putting up some nice statistics, has been a negative on the court. Um, actually, he's been. I'm sorry. Let me take it back. He's been a positive on the court. Uh, have, you looked, so he, have a look at the have a look at the lineup page for this team. It's it's insane. Yeah, that's. I was looking at that before. Like but, Gregory is like Gregory is like negative fifty five, <laughs> and the team is arguably considerably better when Jake Ward is on the team and when Barry is off the court. Like, it's bonkers stuff. It's well, Jake, Jake Ward has been pretty good so As far. I said, to be honest with you. The, the, the shit is shit is bonkers. Like that's the only way to describe it. And, I think the biggest thing that's I think the biggest thing that's regressed to the mean since that initial hot start is Barry. Um, Barry has been taking a lot of shots this season. Although it has, I think after four day, I think after four games he was leading um, Vanderberg, but that's dropped down. But what's happened is he had a few really big games early, like just scoring explosions, and then. Now he's got an effective field goal of 450 and he's averaging 23 and a half shot points on 20 shots a game. That's problematic. Um, as we've talked about a lot of the time with Barry, Barry needs to be producing at a really high offensive level to justify his, his flaws on defense. Um, and I don't think he's doing that right now. Yeah, and I think it's been a bit of a problem. Um, and I'm wondering if it's a little bit of the change on offense. I'll be curious to see when the locker rooms are completed, whether there's some personality stuff going on as it relates to his performance. But um, their their top lineups are all negative at this point, despite having a winning record. Um, uh, Kittles, basically Kittles is unplayable according to the lineup data. That's what it tells you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he's he's a rookie shooting guard, you know. I mean, I I, I think he's actually looked. I mean, he's looked better he's than Barry. He's been, statistically, he's been statistically he's been fine. It's just that he happens to be in all the lineups that are horrible, um, and that's the problem of using lineup data at this ridiculously earlier stage. You know, one of the motivators for the trade I made today was the lineup data was Young know, Malone was having statistically what seemed like a good season, and just it just wasn't working with the the rest of the players, and so. Yeah, that might have stabilized over time. I was wary that it wasn't, so off he goes. 
Uh, obviously, Kittles as a rookie is is likely going to improve over a period of time, and probably shouldn't be banished for the same reason. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So I mean, so where where do you see this team trending upward, downward? You know, in terms of moving forward. Look, I mean, they've got a they've got a decent run over the next couple of days. I mean, they've got they've got the Kings up next, but at home. But then they've got a, a J trainless Boston. They've got Austin. They've got the Hurricanes. They've got Kansas City. You know, that's a they could establish a, a nice little bulkhead. You know, at, at the seventh or eighth seed at that point. Long term, I think I had them as like the tenth or eleventh seed, and I I think that's probably still feels about right. I think if they end up five hundred at the end of the year, that's a very good season oh. for them. 500, 500 would be an exceptional outcome for this team. I don't think 500 is really plausible, but as if they can get close to 500, they'll be in really good shape. Yep. Okay. Who's the last team we want to talk about? Phoenix Vultures, uh, which is so rare because I hate talking about the Vultures. I wanted to talk about the... Um... One second. <coughs> Bless you. Hmm. Uh, I'll blame the red wine. No, I wanted to talk about the uh, the Dallas Predators, but Munns told me I couldn't talk about the Predators because he wants to fly under the radar um, and manage expectations. <laughs> so uh, instead of talking about the Dallas Predators, who are doing really well early on, I'll talk about the Vultures instead. And I think look, the Vultures aren't going crazy good by any stretch of the imagine. They're sitting on a three and five record, but what they have done uh, this season is 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 shown a a pretty competent offense, pretty much from day dot. Um, generally speaking, we don't talk about competent offenses that are centered around rookie players because rookies are usually not particularly efficient. But what we're getting out of Weaver at the moment, you've got a Weaver is averaging 20.6 points uh, on an effective field goal of over of 5.11. So he's, 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 getting more points than he's taking shots. So there's a he's hit that baseline of efficiency that you would expect for a volume shooter. But also, he's only averaging 1.3 turnovers a game. Like, dude actually has a good efficiency rating. Like, that's really uncommon for a, 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 a rookie player who is using the ball that much. So that's been really positive for them. But also, like, there is if, if I go through their team and I look at, like, who's playing well, Akile is probably being you know, a little bit more efficient with the ball than he usually is, but not dramatically so. Gatling's using the ball quite a bit. It, it, that seems sustainable. Like There isn't too much on this team that I look at and go, that's not sustainable. And if that's the case, this is a team that is already got a no rating of 15, and, and it's possible that this team could actually hold that throughout the season. And they've already had one pretty good win. They put down the, the Thunder by 15 points. So this is not going to be as bad. At, I mean, I was quite bullish on them. I think I had them uh, with a, a higher win total than I think you did, Mike. But um, I think this team could be surprisingly competent. Look, they look like a mess on, they look like a mess on defense, which is no surprise. Um, but offensively, they look like they're, they've achieved competence in year one of window, which is not something that I necessarily expected. Well, I think that unlike other rebuilding teams and other teams that we've seen in the past who have the first overall pick, they have some pretty good players on there. I mean, you've mentioned Akili. Brandon Love's not bad. 
Um, I know Jet Weathers is young, but he's got talent. Gatling was a, a, a lottery pick, albeit a low lottery pick that was considered to be a high floor, low ceiling kind of guy. I mean, uh, you know, even Kenny Robertson is on the team who hasn't been getting a lot of time. He had lottery type talent. So they have a lot of players that are, you know, kind of high ceiling kind of guys. Like they're not starting a bunch of second round picks. Like I think some other teams who have been uh, performing well have uh, performing not well kind of had in the past. And I think you look at the just Western conference standings in general, um, the Rockets, we've talked about how poor they look. The Tritons, who we're not going to talk about, um, they, you know, had a bad training camp, and that's kind of played out in their record. So I think the bottom of the West is probably worse than we thought it would even be kind of coming in, and that's helped the Vultures. Uh, that's helped the Vultures because I think Winder is an elite talent, and like you had said, he's playing at a pretty efficient level already. So it's making them competitive amongst teams that are kind of in similar losing situations. I think one question I, I, is that I wonder as a concern, are the Vultures getting too good too quickly in terms of their long-term projections? Yeah, look, if I was sick, I'd probably want one more really bad year. Um, I, I'd want to really suck for one more year. Um, but, you know, things can be manipulated. <laughs> I mean, look, their record is not going to stay at, at, you know, at the rate it is now. It'll, it'll slide back a little bit, but they have achieved competence on one end of the court pretty quickly. Um, and if that is sustainable after the short, after we move from a short sample size into a more viable mathematical sample, then then there is then they, they might actually have to do a little bit of selective resting and stuff like that to keep their win count win count down to a point where they can you know have close to even odds for a really high pick again. But then again, yet we don't know who's in this draft class, so let's not. It's not. I don't think it's time to start talking about tanking because we can't even come up with a fancy nickname like "Gone with the Winder" at this point because we don't know who's in. Yep, I, I agree with that. You know, although I'm kind of already thinking about names for Savel, like you know sawing for Savel or snoring for Savel. So we'll have time. We'll have time for that. Okay. So I think that brings us to uh, the second segment of our episode, which probably won't be a particularly long one this evening. Uh, and the thing we wanted to go to second was, as I said, was players that have surprised us. So this is players that have either surprised us because they've been bad or because they've been good or because the team is doing something wacky with them. Uh, it could be anything. I've, I've gone through and picked a player from each team uh, and we will be going in reverse uh, team name, not location, because we went by uh, alphabetical order by team name last time. So we're doing the inverse of that. Uh, so the first team up is the Philadelphia Warriors uh, and I wanted to point to uh, Vince Collier, who is a beloved baby of mine, um, who I wish I could get my hands on. Um, but I thought this was going to be Collier's year. And if you look at a minutes per game level, it is. He's playing 33 and a half minutes per game compared to 28.1. He is now the undisputed starter. Um, yet, for some reason, he's only getting the same amount of field goal attempts as he was last year. In fact, his A, his usage has declined to a comically low 15, uh, which is you know, considerably below average for a starting player. 
Um, and he started off the season shooting, you know, worse than he has at any point in his career. But also his assists are down. You know, his, he's just... I don't know. He doesn't look quite right. Whereas Curry is is still uh, is still you know doing really well in a bench role in terms of production. You've seen development by McConnell, uh, KB Dollison. I think you want to talk about shortly. But yeah, he just it doesn't seem quite right at the moment. Um, and yes, obviously that that shooting part may stabilise as the sample size becomes more valid, but. I am definitely wary that the uh, the usage is is a real surprise to me. Yeah, um, I mean, I I think that it, this Warriors team is really interesting because overall they've actually been pretty good. Um, their record coming in and they've uh, but the, how they've been doing it is somewhat weird because Keyshawn Benjamin, who Stephen R. King kind of went off on on Saturday night. Um, has been playing quite poorly, you know, with with relatively high usage. And I do wonder if that's a concern with this team. So he has a 14 PER, and um, his net rating looked uh, a lot worse, basically, on uh, on Saturday night. Um, but he's – you look at some of the other players on the team, like Austin McConnell, who's shooting above 50% from beyond the arc at this point, and Aiden McDice, who basically looks like – the next coming of Drayton Banks. And it's a question of whether Benjamin is pulling those, those players individually are looking quite good. And it's almost wondering whether Benjamin is kind of in a weird way, giving them those opportunities to excel um, or whether he's pulling them down. But uh, I think Benjamin, Benjamin will be interesting to watch as a fit on this team because with a negative 17.8 net rating, He's been pretty bad on defense and kind of a zero on offense. Yeah, no, I, I said I've, I've KB Dillasign. I think his game has stabilized since arcade, um, since Stephen R. King's tweet. I think it stabilized a little bit. His, his EFG was back over 500, I thought. But, you know, I think you ask a really interesting question. Are guys like Banks and McConnell and McDice benefiting from the attention that KB is drawing, um, and then if he starts hitting them, they're in great shape, or is, or could they be doing even better if not for KB's bullshit? So it, it, that that for me is an interesting one, um, but you know the Warriors could be in it if they can get Collier and KB playing closer to where they were towards the end of last season, um, they will be in a much better position than they're in now, and they're not yet, and they're not really in a bad position now. Okay, next up is the Phoenix Vultures, and the pay, player I chose for the Vultures is Adonis Gatling, who we mentioned briefly when we were talking about the Vultures, he of the uh, the lottery pick with low ceiling. Um, I think what's been interesting about um, Gatling's uh, season to date, and this may obviously you know vary out as time goes on, is a... His effective field goal rating is is five fifteen. It's a little higher than it was last year, but it, it certainly feels sustainable. It doesn't feel like a, it's an, it feels like just a natural growth and not something like oh my god, this guy had three really awesome games and now he's going to drop like a stone. What's been interesting, I think, for me is the fact that his. I thought that with the um, with the introduction of Winder you know, one of the post guys was probably going to be the recipient of a, a few extra shot attempts. And 
what has surprised me is that it's Gatling of the two, of Gatling and Morning, uh, Morning, who's theoretically there for offense and not defense. Gatling is the one who has kind of taken the scoring lead um, between the two of them. And that that's probably been a, I'll be really curious to see if that's something that sustains over time or whether over time slowly Morning starts to take on a, uh, on a larger load there. Well, I mean, at this point, morning is pretty much only good for giving JBL players an interesting way to say hello to each other in the channel. Um, otherwise, hasn't done much of anything, to be honest with you. Um, but uh, the, the vulture I wanted to mention, actually, who's on the trading block is Kendall Love, who I think is kind of settled into being a relatively decent 3 and D wing, especially for teams that seem to have a strong need for that. So um, he's kind of made a name for himself playing off Winder as a, as a reserve, kind of as an off-ball shooter. Um, he is shooting 40% from beyond the arc this season, which I don't think is that much of an anomaly. I mean, he's always taken a lot of three-pointers, and he's not shot above – he's shot th- above 35% in 2025 and 2026 with his bad star teams. And last year he dipped, but everyone on the Vultures was bad as he started a lot of games. He's also not bad defensively. Um, he had a 2.5, 2.4 defensive win shares in his last year with the Stars and 1.7 defensive win shares with, again, a bad Vultures team last year. Um, he's currently a positive player on the court. Um, I'll bite on offense more than defense, but I think that he's a player who, if, again, you're looking around and trying to figure out if there's a wing you could acquire who's at least above average on defense and a good shooter who will take the corner three, Love ain't playing that bad. No, Love is, is definitely looking good. And the other guy we should probably mention for small sample size theater is, uh, is Marcus Richardson, uh, our beloved former king, who is actually uh, also having a, a very nice hot shooting start to the season as well. Yeah, um, but let's not labor that joke. There'll be more time for that later in the season. Lots of time. okay. Who do you think I? Who would you have guessed? Who would you? Who are you expecting me to choose for your team, Mike? I think it would have been Haslam, and I saw you picked Haslam, and Haslam deserves it. I mean, yeah, it's a breakout. How, it's a potential breakout. How, how sustainable do you think this shit is, Mike? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, look. <laughs> Uh, look, I, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think there's a chance it could be sustainable. I mean, if you look at his time with the Renegades and what he was doing before he got traded to the Vipers, he was really putting up those kind of crazy efficiency numbers uh, on that Rens team, you know, in terms of uh, being a, a close shooter. And I think uh, one of the tweaks I made this year is because his usage was really low last year. It was around 16 was um, I put it I put it so that he should be getting the ball a little bit more, and I think that he's really responded well to it. Although he's his re I think his rebounding is what it is at this point. But I mean the inside efficiency it was there when he was with the Rens. So to see him kind of coming back again, it's not that shocking. No, look, I, I think that the inside efficiency has been high. Like he's he's hit over six hundred once, but I think realistically, like. Um, the the half of the season he spent at the Renegades in 25, where he was an effective field goal of 623, that feels like a more achievable kind of goal for this season than where he is at like 680. Like that's unlikely to sustain at that level. But even then, that's the best number he's had as a Viper. 
he's got higher usage than he's had at any time, I think possibly in his career at this point. Like he's the highest usage rate of his career to start the season. So, I mean, that still grades out to be a player that's averaging probably like 22 and a half points per game. I'm inclined to agree he's never going to be an amazing rebounder at this point. But I think also on the team that you have, you have that covered by other positions as well that don't necessarily rebound the ball as well. Yeah, Lane and Anderson will cover on the rebound, so not exactly. And, and, and even Greeley, relative to his size, will probably get a slightly above average number. So, no, look, I think that Haslam's number feels pretty sustainable to me, probably not quite at the obscene level that it is currently, but I can see it definitely staying at a, a level elevated from where it has been in past years. But uh, right now, he, he's the best thing you've got going for you. Well, I don't think Greeley and Lane have had amazing starts. Um, Haslam has has covered that somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Haslam has been really great this year. I can't, can't really, can't really deny. It. I mean, it helped that, that poor drones team when um, they, uh, they lost their, their power forward. His name slips my mind right now. And they were some of the front court players. That, that's who we put up 48 on was that drones team. And it was just, I watched that game live and it was, it was kind of funny to watch, you know, it's, sorry. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> it was just bad. He knew he knew it was going to be bad, you know. Too, so I don't feel that bad. Okay, so that brings us to the next team, which is the Oakland Tritons. Um, I ummed and art a little bit on this team um, about whether I wanted to look at Lockhart, but I thought it'd be a little bit more interesting if we did a rookie check in on our boy Dikembe Dallas. Um, I know I was pretty. I wouldn't say down, but certainly wary of him heading into the draft as a as a older college as an upperclassman who probably didn't have the same level of ceiling. Uh, and I believe I definitely beat the stick about how point guard small forwards are usually power forwards only, um, particularly in the case of this. And I think you've seen that borne out quite a lot in the early part of the season for the Tritons. So right now, Dikembe Dallas has a negative win share per 48 of 0.055. Um, 0.055 positive isn't particularly good. Um, a negative one's probably pretty ugly. Um, the biggest issue is that he has spent 87% of his time at small forward, where he is not a particularly gifted... He's a better defender there than he is in the post, but probably isn't going to be optimal there because of his, uh, his level of athleticism. But the biggest issue is his shooting. The guy is shooting almost three threes a game and he's pointing and he's hitting 0. 0.045 from three. Um, he's literally spacing the floor zero. Um, so like that's the closest I've seen to zero for someone shooting three threes a game, I think for a while. Um, he's been... There are some probably parts of his game that haven't been that bad. You know, he's generating, you know, three and a half rebounds per game as a small forward in 20 minutes isn't terrible. You know, he's not turning the ball over crazy. But I think that three-point shot isn't good. It doesn't scout good. He didn't shoot it good in college. And he took a, quite a few of them in college because of the role he had on that particular team. Um, he's not a small forward. Um this is something that looks really ugly in a small sample size that I expect to continue to look ugly in a large sample size unless the team proactively fixes it. Um, you know, he's got an effective field goal of 366. 
that's usually a, a quick recipe, a quick, that's usually a very quick way to get no playing time, uh, not to be a key rotation player. Yep. Who do you think I wanted to take a look at for the uh, Oakland Tritons? Oh, your baby boy. Your sweet, sweet, uh, sweet baby boy. Oh, man. It's like watching a car wreck. Um, all right. So checking in on Lamar, the franchise, Francis. Um, PER is at 16.3, which if that sustains would be his lowest since his uh, last year with the Lightning in 2020, um, which was before I saved him and saved his career. If you look at his shot locations, no surprise, his at-room efficiency uh, has declined to 61.2%. It was 66.9% last year. Uh, he's been shooting the ball more from three with a little bit better percentage so far than last year. Last year he shot 30% from beyond the arc. This year he's 35.6%. But overall, um, offensive rating is 110, which is uh, actually not far away from his career averages, but Defensive rating is a 122.3. Usage rating is down, and, you know, I'm just sad. What's his – can I get his uh, – I don't have him open. Could I possibly have his win share per 48? Do you really want to hear it? It makes yeah. me sad. 0. 0.042. Okay, so he's <laughs> well, he's better than Dallas. Um, and uh, and his BPM, please. Uh, BPM is a negative 3.0. Well, that's Both- not as bad as that's not that. That's not actually that horrendous. Um, no, well, look, I think but Francis he's is a British player. <laughs> that's, the like, that's the thing. But that's the thing. Like you know, if you look at him at a raw canning stats level, he still looks reasonably competent. Uh, but there are there are signs of decay if you look for them, and and those are probably not small sample size. Yeah, it's sad. You know, I think I think whereas whereas I think Dallas could probably be fixed somewhat by deploying him differently. Um, I don't think that deploy. I don't think Francis can be deployed differently. I think Francis is Francis at this point, uh, and I don't think that's a that's something that's correctable. You could deploy him to another country. That's probably the only way you could fix him at this point. For your league MVP is calling. Is that what you're suggesting? Yes. You can hear the sadness of my voice. I'm just so sad. I'm going to go put the jersey on today. So fucking patty. Remember okay. happy times. Okay. Uh, for the Thunder, there were a couple of players I thought about uh, talking about, but the one that I thought was probably the most relevant, uh, given he was part of the over-under bet for the Thunder, uh, was uh, checking in on our boy Jamal Walcott. Uh, Walcott was it was quite well publicized that he had an exceptional training camp, but uh, we both we both noted on the last podcast that, that wasn't particularly visible at the uh, pre- at, in the preseason games. Uh, well, it's it's really visible in the games we've seen so far. Um, you know the uh, the prop bet for this team was about his O rating, uh, which was uh, often criticized by the other Andrew uh, last season for being pretty shitful. I think he was like. 200th in the league last year or something like that in no rating no he was 300 and the joke was and the, and the prop that i think said that whether he could get into the top 150 or so um he's gone from 104.9 to 126.1 at this point That's of the season pretty good his uh his wind shares have more than doubled his bpm has basically gone up by a multiple of four uh shit look good um <laughs> Look, uh, I think it's fair to say, you know, last season he finished with a true shooting percentage of um, 5.58. Uh, 
Um, so a jump to that, you know, low 600 mark for a, for a post player doesn't honestly feel completely unsustainable. His threes are probably going to drop a little bit. Like he's probably not going to keep shooting, you know, 1.8 out of three. He's not going to hit 1.8 out of three three pointers for the rest of the season. But even if that drops down to, you know, one and a half, you're still going to be in really healthy territory there. Um, and the other thing is he has, he's cut a turnout, a, a full turnover of his game. Um, and that hasn't dropped his turnover rate from like, you know, to an unsustainable, like, you know, pathetic, like, you know, I am a player who never touches the ball and therefore I have a turnover rate of 5%. This is a player who is fairly high usage. Uh, he's dropped it from 15 to 10. And that's actually, again, relatively looks like it could be sustainable. So right now, if Walcott keeps it up anything like this, uh, he will definitely cover the over-under bet. Did you want to talk about someone different on this team, Mark? Sure. I, I wanted to check in on Mitchell Butler Jr. Um, as the Thunder were a team that I tipped off to be, I think, pretty good this year. Tipped them off to be in the JBL Finals. It really came down to how much Butler developed in his third season. Um, he has not really hit the marks that I kind of would have hoped he would hit uh, so far early in the year, although it is still earlier in the year. could be a small sample size. Uh, his PER right now is 12.3 as compared to 14.6 at the end of the year last year. His offensive rating is down slightly from where it was at the end of last year, 105 to 102.6. And um, overall, I think that for someone who has a lot of usage, hasn't really taken that next step forward. He's kind of playing around the same lines as he did last year. Actually, he's, it's just to give you an idea, his field goal percentage last year was 40.2%. This year, it's 41.5%. From beyond the arc, last year, 31.6%. This year, 313 So he's basically playing almost exactly as he did last year when I would be hoping to see some signs of improvement, but again, only eight games in, small sample size theater. We'll be curious to see if that production and performance improves throughout the rest of the year. Because if it does, I think the Thunder really do have a good shot to maybe come out of the West this season. No, I agree with that. I think it's funny that, you know, the one that we had, the, the one that had the really uh, heavily publicized camp was Walcott, and then he didn't look that great in preseason while Butler looked great. Uh, then we've returned to the regular season and it's kind of flipped again. So look, I think that really speaks to the kind of farcical small sample size nature of it. That I think if Butler can see that it kind of harness the kind of improvement we saw in train uh, in the preseason games on top of what we're seeing from Walcott now, this is going that's going to be a, a very fearsome team in what looks to be a wide open West. Um, yep. That will bring us to the Nashville Stars. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, Marcus Murphy. Um, Marcus Murphy has looked really solid um, so far in his second year. He's playing a couple extra minutes. He's still the backup behind Kieron Worthington. Um, so he is getting a few extra minutes of the game, but his usage has actually dropped slightly. But he is, he is showing real potential to be what we thought um, his best case scenario was, which was a really positive floor spacer at the four. Um, he's come out, he's averaging, he's got an effective field goal rate of 573. He's hitting 440 from three. Um, and he's actually, you know, contributing a reasonable amount of rebounds as well for a, for a, a more stretchy offensive orientated guy. Um, for the season to date, he's actually um, probably, basically him and Worthington are pretty much 
kind of dead even on pretty much kind of like every metric there is for some weird, weird reason. Um, their O ratings and D ratings are both within like a point and a half of each other. Um, some of the advanced stats go both ways. But um, I, I think that uh, right now, given if this team starts to slide away a little bit, I, I'd be quite keen to see a little bit more of Murphy. And I wonder if it's possible that we couldn't even see them try, given their playing pace and space. I'd actually kind of like to see whether maybe they can give Worthington a little bit of time at centre to give up a little bit, free up a little bit more time with um, with Murphy at power forward. Given the lineups with Gregory to date have been really ugly um, with him as the starting centre. Um, maybe that's worth a try. Look, I don't think you've got that much invested in Jake Ward that you can't try that for a sample of games. So I want to talk about Gregory a little bit. I almost wonder if there's something a little bit screwy going on with his settings a bit. Just because I, I look at him as a player. So he leads the team in defensive rating. Um, he, and he's tied for first in win shares, despite, like you said, the lineups with him being so bad. If you look at Gregory's usage rate, it's 10.7. It's not existent. It's not existent. Like they're, they're, keeping the, they're keeping the ball away from him. So I'm wondering if there's something going on where – He's just being told, you know, you're not getting the ball. You never get the ball. The only time you get the ball is on high-efficiency putbacks. And I'm wondering if that's kind of one of the factors that's basically hurting their overall lineups. I, I don't know. I, I don't think you can play, you can't play offense. You can't play offense four on five at a certain point. Like in terms of... Like you're basically, if you're basically saying Gregory, you cannot shoot under any circumstances. You have a usage right. of ten, right, right. and you are a max player with a usage of ten. You are basically giving the defense an easy out. Yeah, yeah like you're, it, you're literally trying to put, you're trying to beat five players with four, and that just doesn't work. Well, and this is a player, and this is why I think this is what's happening here. I looked at his play tendencies. Right uh, last year. Post-ups were 34.4%, probably the most. This year, his post-ups are down 14.5%. So either that's that's ten, there's something going on, tendencies there, and I don't know. Uh, that's, that's also system, Mike. Um, they, were playing a post, they were playing a post-centric style last year. This year, they have moved to a pace and space. Um, that would explain... Um, the distribution towards tra- the move towards transition and cut uh, relative to last year and more being more used as a raw man. So basically you're taking out the diet of post-ups and replacing that with raw man cuts and transition attempts. The issue is that his usage though has just gone through the toilet. Yeah. I wonder if it's because of that or if that's something else because of the system change or something else going on. But. Yeah, that, the, the, star, that, the, the lineup data for the stars is the one that is, it truly confounds me because it is, is just, it doesn't pass the eyeball test. Like it just looks very odd. It feels dissonant. Um, and that's my one big word given how much wine I've had. Um, shall we move on from the Nashville stars to the St. Louis Skyhawks? Let's do it. Okay, so I want to take a piss on Will Crochet, who is uh, stinking shit up. Um, I hope he knows you're going to do that. <laughs> apparently, uh, I, I don't. You've had a lot of wine. 
<laughs> I don't. I don't believe consent's important in this case. Uh, in this unique, specific instance, specific instance. Um, no, look. I think uh, he was drafted number five by the Skyhawks last season. Um, he had a rough rookie year. He got he got to play some point guard. He got moved around the lineup a fair bit. Like many rookie shooting guards, he didn't shoot well, uh, which tends to make many shooting guards have very bad careers very quickly because if they don't start shooting well quickly, they tend to get buried very, very, very fast. Um, he's come out this year. He's playing a little bit more minutes. He's, he's up to about half game time now. It's at 23.7 minutes. He's getting an extra shot out of it per game. But he's, he's shooting worse than he was last year from both uh, from overall from the field. He is almost double these turnovers in, you know, four extra minutes per game. He he doesn't look like he's really taken a, a, a positive step forward in any particular way. Uh, and I appreciate that the, the Skyhawks, you know, they have Berkeley there, uh, but he's... Whilst they have Berkeley, they're not going to keep giving Crochet the level of time he's been getting if he keeps shooting like that. This is a team that wants to make the playoffs. Uh, and right now, um, Crochet has a negative win share. He has a PER of 8.9. He has a really shit for low rating. He's negative BPM. He's just, he's looking ugly. Um, and, you know, and a high turnover rate. In a, in a low usage role, he also has a high turnover rate, which is, is not really a great sign. So, I could see a scenario really quickly where he finds himself uh, buried to the bench, and the team will just elect to ramp up. Um, the team will just elect to ramp up the minutes of uh, either Sava Vuklicek, uh, or they will just give more minutes to Berkeley, uh, who's at thirty-five. So I would say probably Vuklicek is a little bit more likely with playing twenty minutes, but that's a small forward. But yeah, it just you know I'd rather at this point there'd be a case that you'd be better off starting um, giving some minutes to your rookie Marlon Wallace from the second round rather than continuing to play Crochier. It's unlikely even the rookie could play worse. So I, I would really hope for Crochier's sake that, that uh, his game elevates very quickly because otherwise he is likely to become the latest victim of the shooting guard draft curse. Yeah, so I will talk about the next player up from the from Will Crochet, who's been playing slightly better, but not much better, is Omari Woodley, um, who has been playing exclusively at the five and trying to prove that the rule that Andrew has does not apply, at least to him, about power forward centers. Because uh, career-wise, he has been playing significantly better at power forward than at the center position. His PER is at a career low at this point at 11.8. He has a whopping 0.014 win shares per 48, which is not great. Um, and he's just generally looked out of place. I think it seems, again, small sample size theater, but he also did not play that well, exclusive, pretty much exclusively at the five last year. Uh, when he played there. So either he don't fit with Kamga or he don't fit with this team or he, he don't fit. So I don't know what you do here. I think the good news for the Skyhawks is that his contract basically expires this year. It's 20 million. Uh, he has a team option and I'd be kind of stunned if that team option is picked up at this point. <laughs> well, if it's team option, you'd assume not. He's just on too much money. Even if he was playing well, I don't think you'd pick that up just because of the money. 
Yep, that's a uh, that's a uh, Kansas City special right there. That's that a Kobe the special. Kansas, that is the Kansas City special. Uh, okay, next up is the uh, the Las Vegas Scorpions. I had hoped uh, that we would be in a situation where we could speak more to our boy uh, Isaiah Swain. Uh, this is the team I definitely wanted to check in on, Swain. But since Swain uh, hurt he hurt his footsie wootsie in his first game. Uh, and isn't allowed to come out and play at the moment. Um, I thought I'd talk about the player on this team who looks like he could genuinely have broken out into some degree of stardom. And that is my boy, Black Eye, the Doze, Randall Dozier. Um, Dozier has actually quietly become a really highly regarded player probably over the last three seasons, um, starting with his year at the Fireballs in 25 and then through the Jag years. He hasn't occupied kind of high usage. He's kind of occupied lower usage roles throughout that period. You know, seventeen point three usage, sixteen point five, just under twenty, just under twenty last year. But what you've seen is a really versatile game uh, with a really strong, healthy, true shooting percentage and, and contributing across the board along with strong defense. Um, what you've seen this year is for the first time basically since he left the it's the first time he's had a, a de, he's the, it's the first time he's broken a uh, user a, a usage rate of 22 since he left the bullets uh, and he's at 27.1 uh, this year uh, which is obviously making up for the lack of swain um, but he's come out he's averaging 20.4 points per game on an effective field goal of 522 for the first time in a long time where he's been you know that high up in a team shot attempts he's close to basically a block and a half a steal and a half less than one turnover per game seven rebounds you know 3.7 assists he's just playing exceptional basketball and he probably won't get a look in, um, even in the really shitty West, um, because of the team that he's on and the record they'll likely have. Um, but Dozier is having an all-star level um, season so far. Yeah. No pain, no swain. That's what they say around in Las Vegas. Yeah, look, if you've got your own pick, or if you're holding on to your own pick, do you really care if your first-round pick misses half the season? Isn't this the, uh, the Ben Simmons slash Blake Griffin slash NBA no. plan? No, no, it'll 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 be good when Swain comes back, and especially good when Jeremy Jackson gets back and realizes that the season has started. Oh, I knew that was where you were going with it, but uh, I take it he's the player you'd like to discuss. Why, yes, yes, of course. So you know, you would you wouldn't be looking to score points and prove your prediction that he has a lower ceiling than other members of that draft class, correct? Would you? Well, look, it doesn't matter because I can't draft for shit, according to Calvin. So anywhere I can find a silver lining, I have F plus, baby. What? I said F plus, baby. F plus. I earned that F plus. I earned that plus, damn it. Um, so, no, J- Jackson will be fine, but I think he's going through a bit of a sophomore slump. PER is down from 16.1 to 13.5. Win shares per 48, a whopping .013, which is not great. Um, he has been forced to play a lot of center with the Swain injury, and maybe he's yet another exception to the rule that power forward centers should not play uh, should not play at the four. Maybe Jackson should play at the four. Um, he, what two thirty four? Two thirty four. He's too light. Yeah, so he should be playing power forward. I think that will help his spot up opportunities, which being being having to play the five 
it's forced it's forced him into more post ups and um, off ball cutting, which I don't think is his strength. I think his strength is more as a spot up shooter. Last year as a spot up shooter, his points per play were one point zero nine, which is really good. This year they're down to point six nine, and his spot ups have declined by about three and a half percent. I think a more once Wayne is back, he moves more back to power forward. He'll do well, although that may also knock your boy Dozier down the pecking order a little bit. It'll be interesting to see how they kind of manage those rotations. I think the team at the moment has uh, Jackson. It's kind of like the starting four sliding to five and then Dozier coming in and filling that gap. That was the intention. Um, and you actually saw Dozier have a really strong first game um, before Swain went down as well. It's not something that's only happened since he left. So I actually think there's probably, given this team is playing post-centric, I think there genuinely is probably enough space for all three of those big guys to make a pretty solid contribution. Um, okay, that knocks them off. Uh, let's move on to the Austin Rockets. I had chosen Isaiah Evans for this team, so we can probably run through this one quickly. Uh, look, you know, I remember in 2024, I obviously elected to, uh, at the end of that season, trade Evans away. Um, what concerned me was that after year two, his effective field goal rating had dropped under 500 to 485 and his turnovers had gone the wrong direction. And that was with me trying to manage his tendencies a little bit and trying not to put too much responsibility on him. Um, I was freaking out at that point. Um, at when he's got an effective field goal rating of four point, you know, point four oh three and five and a half turnovers, I'd be freaking out a hell of a lot more. Um, he looked like he'd really kind of taken the next step in his game last year, uh, and this year he seems to have, at, at least for now, has has definitely regressed. So, I would hope for the uh, for the sake of the Rockets that he can uh, rebound very, very, very quickly. Mike, anyone else on this team you'd like to discuss, or are we moving on? Well, Antoine Murray is kind of interesting to me. Um, I mean, again, small sample size. He's only played 99 minutes so far. But a 24 PER would be significantly better than the 16.9 he had with the Rockets. He's shooting 45.9% from beyond the arc. Um, and unlike Mr. Evans, his turnovers are 0.86 per game. So he knows how to handle the ball pretty well. Um, I think for his role as a backup point guard, he's looked very solid. So unfortunately, that's not that that's the not the issue with this team because you would presume Evans maybe he won't maybe he'll wipe the butter off his hands. But even if his turnovers don't improve, the shooting I think will improve. But um, good news for the Rockets is at least they have a good backup point guard. So go them. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. No, Murray has been really good. I think there's his his three ball is probably going to slide back down a little bit, but that'll still leave him in pretty healthy territory. I mean, right now he's putting up almost 11 points in 14 minutes. Like that's outrageous for a backup point guard. Yep. <laughs> um, okay. That brings us to the Renegades. Uh, there has been a player often spoken about for his defensive brilliance. Uh, and for his offensive uh, brilliance, and that is our Lord and Savior, Darren Ellaby. Um, Darren Ellaby uh, has been talked about way too much this season for a player who was previously largely unheralded and irrelevant. Um, there are some things about his game, as, as comical as it is, that actually probably are sustainable. Uh, but let's talk about the things that aren't sustainable first. Um, the dude is not going to keep shooting um, 
0.711 from the two-point range and having an effective field rating of 0.731. It's just not going to happen. Um, it's just not going to happen. Even if he keeps his usage rate comically low under 10 like it is now, it, it's just no one is shooting that. It's just not going to happen. Um, but I, I could very easily see it settling into the, you know, the low to mid 600s, um, in which case that's still really healthy. What is sustainable is that what season did we start doing these podcasts together, Mike? Was it 2025 we started kind of doing them somewhat or yeah, even I earlier? Think, I think 2025. Like 26 was the first year we got into a hardcore routine, um, yeah. but we were definitely doing them through 25 as well. And I, I feel like one of the topics that we have expended the most energy discussing about, and I, and I remember it's something the commission I talked about before you even joined the league, Mike, was finding the right player to put next to Slattery. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about it. I, I, I feel like... I, can... I, I just feel like that's one of the topics that has constantly come up again and again and again. I don't like the way that team's playing, that player next to Slattery. They need to find the right kind of player playing next to Slattery. I think it should be this guy. Oh, I think it should be this guy. They should trade for that guy. You know, it's, it's been a topic that we've talked a lot about. And I actually think that based on what we've seen so far, Ellaby could finally be it. It's like finding the, you know, like finding the Ark of the Covenant or some shit. But was it that hard? I mean, I feel like all I feel like we've always said it should be like a defensive player who could rebound and is low usage, right? Has it been that hard? To be fair, there have been players who have filled that description who have played alongside him with varying degrees of success. I, I don't I, think. Go ahead. Ellaby, obviously, in this really small sample size, looks to be the best one ever, but that may grade out differently, but like, you know, we have seen players that just for some reason we have, we have seen the team try things that we thought might work, not work before. Ellaby based on what we've seen so far and the team's, you know, disturbingly, um, disturbingly good start to the season and Slattery as well is having a crazy good offensive season. It's possible that, you know, Ellaby could be the best combination we've seen today. If this is even remotely sustainable. I'm I'm still I'm I'm still a little bit dubious just because I wonder how much of this success is that the rich has switched to a coach and a system that more benefits Slattery and Harold's talent. LB is the benefactor of that. Like Chapel, I disagree. I, I disagree. I disagree with you. I think the last system benefited Slattery more because it was post centric and he's one of the better post players in the league. This is um, a system that theoretically feeds him the ball less. Slattery's shot attempts right now, uh, I think they're the lowest they've been like since his rookie year. So feeds the ball more, but feeds the ball feeds the ball to him more while in the post. You know, so I, I'm wondering if this allows because if my memory serves me correctly, and I'm pulling up his, um, I'm pulling pulling up his screen just to see how crazy I am. Um, <laughs> His post-ups are about the same. He's being a role man a little bit less in this current system. So he's taking pretty much the entire, the entire offense's post-up opportunities. Still a little more, yeah, a little more spot up, a little more transition, a little bit more cutting as compared to last year, a little less post-up. Yeah. 
So. But they are, but they are getting basically on two and a half less shots per game. They are basically getting, you know, one point yeah. less out of him. He's, I think, he's doing better. I, I, I think here, I, I, I don't think, I think we're just disagreeing to disagree. I, I think that LB is, is a good fit next to Slattery. I don't think you'll see any disagreement from that. He's basically what we had thought, but I don't know if it's like it's LB or it's, the the t- the kind of player and the kind of system and it's all meshing together along with small sample size theater a little bit. Fair enough. Okay. Well, since we're only disagreeing to, for the sake of disagreeing, we shall move on to the next team, which is the Dallas Predators. Uh, and the player I've chosen to discuss is Kendrick Hill, the much maligned Kendrick Hill, who I must admit I have some soft spot, for, a bit of a soft spot for, probably because I've somehow ended up with a jersey of his. Um, Look, I think that um, what we're seeing so far, if it is sustainable, is actually the best Kendrick Hill has ever played. <laughs> is that um, well, no, he's got an effective field goal of 600. He's shooting, compl- he's shooting decently from three. He's turning over the ball, not particularly amount, a large amount. You know, he's, he's feeling, you know, kind of settling into the backup point guard role there quite good. And I think that, I mean, it's not amazing. Don't get me wrong, but like, if that, if he can keep shooting at that kind of rate, in that kind of role, as uh, you know, given that the team has Fisher there, I think that's probably you know he's a two million dollar a year player for the next three seasons. If he can play at this level or slightly better, like let's say his turnovers drop back down a little, um, that's going to be a really valuable thing for this team as as Fisher ages. So he's never shot anywhere near remotely as well as he's currently shooting. Um, but if even half of that improvement is sustainable, um, he'll be a, a far more efficient player than what we've seen of him to date when he's being criticised at the other stops that he has been in. So that's what I want to talk about with Predators. What would you like to cover? Anyone on this team or are we moving on? No, I, I got to give some props to Stephen R. King. If you recall, he said it would be Terrell Sanford and not Nicholas Acosta who would be the breakout player of the year. So far, Sanford is uh, averaging 15.3 points per game, 6.4 rebounds per game. Um, his win defense, his winters per 48 have gone from 0.076 to 0.184. Um, defensive rating is the best it's been, and I think he actually has more room to improve. He's only shooting 36.6 from beyond the arc this year. Last year was 29%, but the year before he shot 44.7%. So he's got room for shoot, his shot to improve. And if it does, he's developing into quite a nice little shooting guard for this team. Um, wait a second. I'm just checking something. Are you looking at Mr. Acosta? I was looking at Mr. Acosta. I think you're reaching to say that, like, he's having a dramatic breakout year and Acosta's, like, you know, dogging it up. I think that's a little bit of a reach, given that Acosta is outscoring him and has also shown improvements at most levels of his game as well. But as I said, like we both, the argument we made before the season, and we're not really disagreeing with each other is the argument we made is that getting rid of that, that ridiculous Hunter experiment and creating some better spacing was going to create better opportunities for both Acosta and for Sanford. And right now you can see it clear as day in the three point shooting Sanford is shooting at basically identical amount of shots per game, has gone from 290 to 366. Acosta is up at about 395. Yeah, he's gone from 368 to 395. Like, 
the, the, the spacing on this team is working better. I think they're only taking about 33 shots across the starting point guard, shooting guard, and small forward. And basically, a little over 50% of that is, is threes. Just the three of them now, with proper spacing, are just bombing shots. And that's how that team, ideally around a dominant post player in, or dominant inside player like Stackhouse, should probably work. Dallas Predators, favorite in the Western Conference, question mark? Oh, they're, they're looking sexy. I mean, six and one. Ooh. Ooh. No pressure, Muns. No pressure. I mean, like, you know, have they beaten anyone? <laughs> they, beat the War- they beat the Warriors. That was pretty healthy. That was a yeah. you know, 30-point win over the Warriors, and that's, that's pretty sexy. That's pretty cool. good. Pretty sexy. Mm. Okay, moving on. Uh, next up, that brings up me, me to the, the sexy predators. Sexy predators. Wow. Uh, <laughs> the sex predators. <laughs> the red, he has to. Re, he has to register. Have um, a seat right here. Have a seat right here, Andrew. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Back on track. Back on track. Okay. I want to talk about Jadante Hicks? Uh, I think someone said uh, in the channel the other day that Hicks was starting badly, or I read something. I think I read something that said Hicks wasn't starting particularly well. Um, I'd like to debunk that slightly. Um. Hicks is shooting not quite as well early on as he has in past years. But when you see his stat line collapse from 21 points per game down to 14.6, what you're actually seeing is that he's dropped three. He's dropped the three, basically three, three shots a game. Um, his usage is down to 19. It's the lowest it's been in since his... It's the lowest it's ever been in his career. <laughs> I thought it might be since his rookie season. It's the lowest in his career. Yes, his... His true shooting has collapsed a little bit, but I think that will probably stabilize over time. But actually, the rest of his game is actually quite strong. And win shares per 48, he's actually doing better than last year. He's dramatically curbed his turnover rate from last year. He's getting more steals. He's getting more assists. He's getting about the same amount of rebounds. If anything, his actual all-round game is better this year. The problem simply is that he's taking less shots and he's hitting slightly less than he was previously. Um, and that probably brings me to the point that you're seeing across the team really is that I, I think this is a team where uh, a little a little less Messiah is probably uh, beneficial for everybody. So I, I agree with all of that. And for the sake of time, I just wanted to add one comment to give an erection to one owner. So Josiah Robinson has a 0.049 wind shares per 48 and a 102.6 offensive rating. Uh, which is the worst of any hover, of the starters on this team and third worst on the team. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna, um, there's another player who's coming up, I believe, who I thought had, uh, when I was looking through it the first time, had a ridiculous usage rate. Josiah um, has a usage rate of 41.9. Um, for context, last year, which we thought was already too high, was at 36.3. Um, do needs to chill the fuck out. Like it is simply impossible to maintain. This is like Lamar peak Lamar Francis ball hoggery levels of usage. Like you cannot maintain a sufficient level of offensive efficiency to be very good as a team if you have a player carrying that kind of load. It just doesn't fucking work. Um, so Isaiah uh, needs to chill the fuck out and give some other people the ball. Uh, and we can move on from them. We can talk about the Portland Lumberjacks. And 
I'm pretty sure when I was filling out DG's survey before the season, there was a player on this team that I put on my second or JBL team ballot. And right now, I don't even think he deserves an all-star spot. So um, I want to call out Mr. Jarvis McSwine, our boy Porky, who is um, some weird shit's going on. Um, there's two parts to this. One part is probably one probably part is is probably small sample size, and one part probably isn't. Um, he is down. He's playing less minutes than last year. The team has distributed the minutes down. This is Tim being particularly cautious with his minutes again. He's only playing 29 minutes a game, down from 31. But he's taking five and a half less shots than he did last year. Um, that translates to a drop in usage from 25.1 down to 16.1, which is the lowest of McSwine's career. And I thought this was a year where the team would probably start to transition some of the offense away from Peeler towards him. I know the I know the slight change in the style of the team to that you know twenty four seconds or less system, and the presence of Mac probably changes the dynamic a little bit. But I mean that's a really low usage rate for a for a star player. Um, and the second part of that is he's also shooting like shit. Um, he's shooting the worst effective field goal rate of his career by almost point one, um, and he's currently averaging uh, eight point three points per game. Um, that does not generally an all-star make. So this is curious. McSwine has played 91.4% of his percent of his court time at the power forward position, which he's never done before. Um, even last year, he played more power forward, but he still played 57.8% at small forward. The year before, 80.8% at small forward. I'm wondering if there might be some issues with that, with just him playing more power forward. Um, size of 6'9". So that's a little bit of a concern, but um, yeah, I'm wondering if that is a contributing factor to the numbers you just put out there. I think what you're saying is um, I think the offense has probably been set up for a long time as though they have been playing either the early career version of Sylvester um, or Bryant at power forward a lot and who don't use the ball. Uh, and now Mick Swine has moved there. And we've always advocated for Mick Swine to be kind of moving to the four because it would make the team more dynamic. Well, I think that, that maybe the system needs to be tweaked a little bit or his tendencies need to be tweaked because I think that, you know, in a grit and grind system, maybe uh, playing the four is not a recipe for a great lot of, uh, a great huge amount of shot attempts, essentially. Nope. Oh. Um, and that doesn't mean, I think, I just think they need to feed in the ball more. Like, I think the offense itself, the offensive level of production will stabilize, um, but certainly... Um, he shouldn't have a usage rate of 16. He's far too good for that. Anyone else on this team you want to talk about? No, I, I think that's pretty good. I think I'll shout out to Mac that he's looking like the best point guard rookie since Josh Gamble or Devon Harrell. Yeah, um, I just want to, uh, just for Andrew's benefit, the other Andrew, um, does he have a positive VORP and a positive BPM and positive win shares and a PER above average? And a win share per 48 above 200? Yep. All the above. My God. I, think, My God I, th I, thought, I thought that was impossible. Well, I think uh, I just brought up Josh Gamble, Devon Harrell, who I think were pretty close to that. So I wonder if that's not better than both of those guys, actually, to be honest. That, that number right now. Small sample be. size. Allowing for small but sample size. But, but he that's, went to, uh, 
but that's a good team. I mean, he went to a good team too. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, but he, he hasn't been holding them back, which, you know, you've seen other rookies added to good teams who have kind of not played well at the, at the initial, you know, so. No, he's, he's looking exceptionally good early on. Um, he's looking like he's going to be a very successful bridge for this team moving into the future. And it's worth noting that the team, I believe, is currently third in the West. Yeah. So uh, holding on to the uh, home court spot that I thought they should still hold on to based on their moves over the offseason. That will move us on to the next team. Um, and that is the Houston Lightning. And I want to go about this quickly because I really don't want to spend too much time talking about Kyle because I don't want to demonstrate the car. I don't want to prove to Kyle that apparently he owns. We'll, we'll, do, we'll, do, a quick, we'll do a quick read, read the question as you put it in the spreadsheet. As directly in the spreadsheet? Yes. I haven't been, I haven't been, these are my summaries. These were only for you, Mike. They weren't really for um, <laughs> public well, consumption. Like, well, just, just for this one. But for this one, uh, yeah. I have written Houston Lightning, Spencer Allen, dash, who stole his soul this time? Odell Bracey. Move on. Going with Bracey? Is it Bracey? <laughs> Look, I think the issue with, uh, there's a few issues here. His usage hasn't dropped dramatically. It's at 17.5 this year. It was 19.1. So there hasn't been a quantum shift in his role. Um, what you're essentially seeing is that his shooting has collapsed from career high levels of effective field goal last year to the worst levels of his career to date, even worse than the Bradley, even worse than the Bradley soul sucking year. So look, I think if that stabilizes, um, you'll see that he'll be pretty fine. Um, but honestly, when you have Bracey playing like a, uh, according to the awards tracker, an MVP, this is why this is why the old grumpy baseball scouts didn't want to accept statistics and computers because it says shit like Bracey's an MVP. Um, uh, but no, look, I think but when, when you're wedged in between Bracey playing with the way he currently is and Weaver, um, you need to be able to hit your jump shots. And I think Spencer Allen is good enough to, over a longer horizon, correct that problem. Uh, but it's certainly not a particularly attractive start for a guy who just got re-signed to a, had a part of $18 million a year contract. Yeah. And I think Bracey should give Weaver a gift basket for resuscitating his career because yep. it looks pretty good. Yeah, he's looking real healthy. Okay, next up, go to the Kansas City Knights. There are a few candidates we could have talked about. Um, but for small sample size theater, I thought the most applicable one was probably Donnell Walt Mullins. Uh, Mullins is basically playing, probably was looking at this season at the, before we hit free agency, was probably looking at stepping into a bigger role on the team this year. Uh, but when the team signed Damasca, he kind of was forced back into his 16-ish minutes a game role as the bench power, uh, small forward. Uh, but he's come out shooting hot as hell from the field. He's shooting 500 from three. Boy's got an effective field goal rating of 713. So he's averaging basically 10 points a game in 15.7 minutes. This is the epitome of small sample size madness. But if he, if he, can, if he can keep even half the gain that he's uh, realized so far on last year where he shot a 498 effective field goal. If he can get close to 600, um, this is a player that probably deserves a little bit more court time at the expense of Damasca because Damasca is playing probably a little bit more than he strictly needs to right now. Um, and Mullins is a young player who is theoretically still developing at 20. So I'd, I'd probably give... I'd be looking at this in another 10 games and seeing if some of this gain has held. And if it is, I'd probably be looking to get him up closer to 20 minutes to keep him on a healthier development path. 
Yep. And the only thing I will add on top of that for the Knights is that Brandon Terry uh, on less minutes is playing at an efficiency basis uh, as well as he did in his last year with the Huskies. So maybe he's still got a little bit of life in the tank and maybe that Dragons team was just not a good fit for him skill wise. <laughs> Definitely wasn't a good fit for him. <laughs> Definitely not a good fit for him. No. Understand. No, he- no, he's he's definitely looking better to date. Um, I'd point out to some of the event, some of the advanced statistics are less flattering than others, but no, he's definitely putting up a relatively productive level of production for a backup. Uh, hopefully, uh, he is paying his uh, juice mentoring Fontana though, because Fontana looks like he's going to need a little bit of work. Okay, next up brings us to the Cincinnati Kings, who I don't want to spend too much time on because they are now boring. But uh, the player I wanted to talk about was Poke. Um, there's been a lot of talk about Poke over the last couple of seasons um, because of the kind of Swiss Army nice kind of backup role that that he tends to fall into in that team. Um, he's popped out once, I think one small sample size theater episode like two years ago. We talked about how he looked like he was emerging to the surface because he'd started out averaging like 30 points per game for like the first seven games and then he kind of very quickly fell back to his his you know 16 points per game kind of average you know he's been behind you know evans uh, sorry owens in the pecking order pretty consistently or mason or hawes or benson uh, he's been the you know the, the fourth of the four big four pretty much consistently yeah. um and this season what we've seen to date so far is that he has taken on a a much bigger usage role um uh, he's up to 27.4, which is you know, a solid five points pretty much clearer than wherever he's been before. Uh, and what you've seen is basically offensively, he has collapsed. He's always been a really quite a high efficiency offensive player, uh, but the increase in usage he has uh, seen this year, um, part of it is probably because he's, he's shooting, you know, a little bit worse and is sustainable. Uh, but, you know, this is probably the first bit of solid evidence we've seen for a while that maybe his game doesn't scale as well as a as a higher higher usage player on a team, you know, as the number two guy as opposed to the number three or four. Speaking of, is this really over? Is uh, Ben Sanity over? 11.5 ER, negative 0.4 EWA, 0.046 win shares per 48. Um a little bit better in poke, but not that much better. So I'm wondering if he's been replaced by Darth Jader. Uh, isn't Jadiston having like the best PR? Doesn't Jadiston have the best PR on the team right now? I think so. And I think I think that's a great nickname for him, right? Especially Death Star. Darth Jader? Darth Jader. Dar- Darth Jader. Can, we, can, we get that, can we get that shit down? Can we get that locked down? Like we've both, we are both, we both support this. We're, we're fully on board. Uh, we want Darth Jader. <laughs> no, it's funny. I, I had a conversation after the preseason actually about Darth Jader, and I said to Andrew, I said, I don't give a shit about your team apart from the fact that I want more Jadiston. More Jadiston. More Jadiston. Uh, so you and, know that uh, nickname. Now it's, now it's going to become a thing. I'm excited. No, it's like, like 24 seconds no, I, or less. I, I, no, I really like the look of him in the preseason, and uh, I don't think you get the same level of rebounding out of him as you do out of someone like. Um, uh, Turner, particularly at backup center, uh, but at power forward, where that kind of athleticism and ability to stretch the floor, probably value of that outweighs the rebounding. Um, 
Jadison's looking good. Dude, if you can roll out a, a fairly athletic seven foot one guy at, at power forward and he can space the floor, uh, even if these numbers aren't properly fully sustainable, um, have at. I mean, effective field goal of 821. Ooh, small sample size. It's keeping me warm. Okay, we're moving past the Kings. Yep, let's do it. Okay, I want to I want to bag out Jason Cheney some. Okay, so it's time for the Chicago Jailbirds. Jason Cheney currently having his worst PER since the uh, since the league basically reemerged. Uh, he has basically got his worst offensive rating since the league reemerged. Uh, certainly since expansion. Uh, his O rating is bad. His D rating is bad. His BPM is zero. His VORP is 0.1. It's usually at least like high threes. Uh, win shares is 0.064 uh, per 48. I mean, his usage is at 40%. Uh, he is taking even more shots than he was last year. His effective field goal rating is under 500. I mean, this is, this is the same kind of shit we're currently criticizing KB dollar sign about. Yeah. And KB dollar sign is not taking 23 fucking shots per game. So yes, you can, t- no, no, but you can keep, t- like, you can say, oh yeah, Cheney's averaging 29.3 per- points per game. Yes. He's basically doing a Dutch yeah. right now. He is basically doing a, he's basically doing a Vandenberg. He is, he is scoring horribly inefficiently at a, at, just on comical volume. Now, obviously, some of this is unsustainable. I'm sure he will finish the season over 500, but this is silly. Like, he, he is, you, you can't feed that ball, the ball to someone who is shoot, who, that much when they are playing like that. It, something needs to give one way or the other. Yeah, I don't have much to disagree with on that. Someone shouldn't be taking that many shots. You know what I mean? It's just too. I, I think Austin is trying to, like, you know, put Clarkson yes. as the offensive player, which makes it even funnier if that's what's going on. It's just Cheney just saying, like, no, fuck this. I'm taking the shots. Well, I, I don't know. It seems like he's playing point guard 95% of the time this year compared to 50-50 last year. And it might just be that he's got the ball in his hands the whole fucking time. And he's just jacking a shot up every every time down the court. But like, I mean, I, I, I know I'm probably more extreme than some people. I really don't think there is any excuse for a player ever to be a pro, you know, at above 20 shots per game. Like, I just don't think it's healthy for a team overall to be, have, to have one player that ball dominant. But you can, I mean, but there are team, there are some players over the years who have sustained that, you know, have sustained a, a healthy, acceptable level of efficiency whilst doing it. This dude ain't one of them. Yep. Okay. Uh, I think we need to pick up the pace ever so slightly. Otherwise, you're going to run up against your time deadline. Uh, yeah. So that brings us to the Mexico City Jaguars. Um, I want to talk about Luke Steen. Um, Luke Steen, I don't know what your scouting says, Mike. The dude is never going to be more than a rotation player. Um, I know that – and I want, to, I want to take a pot shot in because he's actually playing really well. He's shooting, you know, 374 from three. 500 from the field, 527 effective field goal rating. He's getting some rebounds, getting some assists. You know, he's that, he's that late first, sec, first round pick. Ooh, he's a healthy guy. Dude is going to be a rotation player. He's never going to be a starter. He has no ceiling. Um, give him less minutes, give more to ma- uh, Major Laser. The end. Like, this is a mistake a lot of teams make when they have too many draft picks, is they need to, um, they, start, they feel the need to give everyone time equally. Um, even guys who are, like if you draft a senior, right, like Steen is, you're going to get a more polished player from day one. 
and the and and the and the immediate instinct is I should play this guy because he's playing well. You should not be playing the player who's playing well now because they're a more polished senior over the guy who is a rookie who has ceiling. Like, that's dumb. I'm not saying that Grunter is dumb in this case because I've actually spoken to Grunter and I know that he is actually trying to balance it um, so that, yes, Laser is, Major Laser is getting more minutes. This is Bogdan Lazovic for those who don't know the nickname yet. But Major Laser is getting more of the minutes, but at the same time, he is feeling some internal pressure to keep giving minutes to Steam. And I think that people need to understand like you know something that eon noted in his article before the season was like yes terrence barton looked great for a second rounder but the dude has no ceiling he's going back to the bench and wooten is starting like that's because wooten is the guy that has to seal it at a certain point invest the time in the players who who have the potential to give you the most return not the ones who are as they are to at least some degree well, my, I mean, think, I, I just think, wanted, to, I just wanted yeah. to provide the. Uh, this is think, more choosing as an example of the lesson rather than to bag him or or grunge out. Well, same, same. Pro- I mean, look, the problem with me is not giving the minutes to Steen; it's giving the minutes to Ellington and Hunter. They're not going to get you anywhere. You know, they're going to send you on the the tread the treadmill to mediocrity. You know, even if they perform up to their expectations, you're not going to find anything. Like Hunter right now is still a negative player, which is not much of a shocker. Ellington looks good, but Ellington is not going to be good by the time you're good. So I'm like, but Major Laser should get the minutes. I'm fine with you giving Steen as a rookie the backup minutes, and you could probably get him some nice development time in that kind of reserve role, but you're trying to squeeze in Ellington and Hunter. And um, you're still trying to mess with some Ryan Pierce, although it looks like he's completely out of the rotation. He's I, gone now, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think there's a way that you can have your cake and eat it too with a team like this, but you can't also give minutes to older players who are not going to do anything for you. I, I, look, I'd rather they, I'd, I'd rather they jam more minutes into Collins and Arnold and Major Laser, basically everyone who's young who isn't a known product like Dunn is a known Dunn is a known product at this point I know he had a good run at the end of last season but I think he's a known product I think Ellington is a known product if you're going to be bad be bad letting and be bad and find out as much as you can about the players who might have something yep right anyway quickly moving on to the Toronto Huskies uh I was just going to highlight Big Q um, Big Q has been a notable absence from the awards tracker Big Q is not playing worse than last year. Big Q is, in fact, potentially even playing better than last year. He's just having nap times about a lot more than each game. He's playing exactly five minutes less per game. He is using the ball a little bit less. Uh, but what it means is that he is just not statistically producing at the same level, at a top-line level. If you actually look at his per 36 numbers, um, he's averaging more points, slightly less assists, and dead even rebounds. He is the same dude. He's just having lots more nap time as the team tries to feed a few more minutes into Cummings and a few of the other bigs on that squad. Yep, some nice bubble wrap there. Okay. Player I'm a little bit in love with, and I believe I tipped him in the over to t- get a double-double for the season. What is Lamont Woodson averaging for the New Orleans Hurricanes so far? He is averaging 13 points and 10 rebounds per game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, I'm, now, look, I think he's actually showing some really healthy signs of development. He is playing more minutes than he ever has in his career. 
but he is holding a, you know, for the second year in a row, I mean, oh, granted, it's early this year, he's shooting over 400 from the three-point line, showing that spacing potential that he had as a centre. He's hitting three uh, two-pointers at a much better rate this year. His effective field goal is up to 627, up from 513. He's rebounding the ball better. He is turning the ball over a little bit less, but he's got a higher usage. His usage has gone from, oh no, he's sorry, his usage is lower again. I'm sure I read that differently earlier. Either way, um, there is clear evidence he's actually taken a slight leap. Oh, and most importantly, he's getting to the free throw line twice as much as he did last year. Can we um, just can we just get rid of Asbury at this point? Um, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I don't think. Given you're about to run out of time, Mark, I don't think we really need to litter, uh, We don't need to relitigate uh, the Asbury uh, shit. But yes, Asbury is not good on this team. Well, I, I wanted that as a segue to mention Ezra Kiris, who has an 18.6 PER coming off the bench, is true shooting percentage of 61.3, and has a win shares per 48 of uh, 11.115. Whereas so, so I'm going to go out and limit and say you'd like to see uh, Kyrus uh, playing power forward there alongside Woodson. Really yes. space it out. Yes, yeah. and Lawson at the three and Bentley at the two. Yeah. That is so much spacing. That would be, uh, you yeah. know, yeah. so much spacing. No, I'm a great. I think like, you know, Woodson is the Woodson himself being out of space to four. If you can get a spacer next to him at the four, there's a really unique opportunity to create something really interesting offensively there. And, um, yeah, I think uh, playing Asprey next to Woodson is not going to generate that special thing. Okay, next up with the fireballs. I want to throw my boy Chris LaCruz under the bus. LaCruz needs to chill the fuck out. Uh, he currently has a usage rate of 38.1. Um, J-Ron was in the channel earlier today, I believe, bemoaning someone on his team to stand up and be that second star. J-Ron, generally, second stars need shot attempts. And when LaCruz is eating all the shot attempts, there's none for anybody else. The dude is taking 25 shots per game. He is somehow maintaining a level of efficiency at like 594. On that, he's averaging 35.7 points per game. Um, this is bug nuts insane. Um, but what I think has happened is that because of the team's desire to get more time into Bloom, uh, he is now, um, LaCruz is now up to, instead of a quarter of his time at, at shooting guard, is now spending a full third of his time at shooting guard. And when he's at the shooting guard, I think he's just jacking the fuck out of it. And um, look, he's gone real well so far. But again, as I said, in the, when we were talking about the Mustangs, you know, you've got Fuller and Porter and Har Harrison um, basically, all of them are getting like nine shot attempts per game. It's just, it's simply not enough for an offensive distribution. Um, LaCruz needs to chill the fuck out. Yeah, I think you might want to, I don't even know how you necessarily mess with it. I mean, they are better offensive rating and defensive rating than last year and second best net rating in the league. So it's not like it's not working, you know, but. I, I, just, I just think that's a recipe for trouble down the road. And that's that's see. very much a me that's very much a me thing, but but the answer to J Ron's question earlier as to why we're, no one is coming up to be a second at the second star on this team is they don't have there's not there's not two basketballs. If Lucruz wants to share, maybe one of them will step up. Yep. Um, next up, Charlotte Drones, um, who have kind of started the season really nicely with that really healthy win over the shitty Jailbirds, but then kind of um, dropped off a little bit. 
I was hoping to be excited by them. They have not excited me enough to date. I was, I was hopeful. Um, no, yes. but the, one, the, one, yes. the one player I did, the one player I did want to call out was Matt Mueller. Um, Matt Mueller is obviously been the backup point guard here for the last two years, uh, and basically, um, right now he is, I would say, considerably outplaying uh, his his uh, the starter in Sergio Leola. Um, he is a better sh- right now. He is shooting at a career best rate. Uh, 559 from the field, 632 uh, from effective field goal. He's almost at 400 from three. Um, still getting 3.7 assists, lowest turnover rate of his career. Um, if this continues for much longer, um, there is a strong argument that he should be starting over Loyola. This is this is all I ever wanted from you, Matt. I just wanted I you to hit thirty point five percent from beyond the arc and yep. be good defensively. This is all I wanted. <laughs> so, like, literally, literally, he's doing all the things you wanted from him, um, and all the things that this team really needs from its point guard. He has always had the potential to be a slightly more dynamic player than Loyola, uh, but he hasn't really been able to put it all together. Um, if he keeps going, let's say for another ten games like this. Um, then it's time to swap them. Yep. No, I tend to agree. So that is everything for Matt Mueller. Moving on to Malik Farmer, who is our representative from the Denver Dragons. Um, There is very clear evidence that Malik Farmer has improved his game in numerous ways this season. He's playing basically the same minutes. He has reduced his turnovers. His blocks are up. His steals are up. His rebounds are way the fuck up, although part of that is small sample size because Stone has missed some games. What we are seeing, though, is his three-point shot, the one that we ranted and raved last year about how much it had improved. That shit gone and collapsed. Um, um, Look, this is where we're going to find out. Was last year a season-long stretching of the mean? (laughs) Or, and we're now going to see a permanent regression to back where it was in his rookie season? Or are we going to see the reality settle somewhere in between? In between, um, well, and even in much free of the throw reason- shooting, I, I think it's cold start because his free throw shooting went from sixty one point four percent last year to forty two point nine percent. Right now, right now, the dude, like, on, a, on that smallest sample though, that's like half a shot, less, less than half a shot. But like, it's I think that right now, what you're seeing is a player who has who shot the ball at a at a rate that surprised us all last year, and this season has started at a rate, you know not just where he was as a rookie, but probably a cold slump for a rookie. Um, and how much that stabilizes and where we find where that, tr- you know, that true middle it settles down to be is going to dictate how valuable a player he is. But the drones haven't, you know, the drones are keeping pace, I think, given that, you know, they've had stone out and farmers not particularly started well. Yep. Uh, next up, I probably want to talk about someone who right now feels like they should be an all-star no matter how bad this fucking team is. Uh, that team is the Atlanta Devils, and that player is Dominique Harmon. Uh, Harmon's highest usage rate in his career until this year was last year at 22.2. This year, he is up to 29.4. Currently running a PER of 28.8. His BPM of 10.4. What the fuck? <laughs> That's outrageous. Uh, for this point of season. Uh, look, um, basically, um, you know how usually when a shooting guard or a small forward um, gets really, really hot and starts doing weird shit, it's usually because their threes, their three-point shooting is comically unsustainable. Um, 
for some reason here, it's his two-point shooting. Um, he's currently hitting 8.4 of 12.3 attempts from inside the arc. Uh, yeah. but, you know, Spacing, uh, is, Spacing is really good on this team, though. It, 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 fuck it may well be. It, it may well be. But um, look, you know, it's... It's been a real surprise to see Harmon be the shot attempt leader on this team, given that Valentine is probably the future there. And we gave a lot of love to Harmon last year about the role he kind of took on, the, the increases of the efficiency of his game, the well-rounded with the rebounds and the assists. Um, that shit's all continued this year. And he's, and he's added five shots per game. Uh, and he is being sustainable. Like, this is... This is kind of like statistically, he is at like MVP levels of statistic production right now. Um, obviously, I would expect that will slow down. That two-point field goal is is not sustainable. Uh, but at the same time, he's not shooting threes particularly well, and that he has shot them better in the past. So you might actually see some leveling out. But um, right now, um, if I was to do all-star balance right now, I'd probably put Harmon on the team despite him being on a horrendous squad, and I very rarely do that. And meanwhile, quick shout out to my Nova boy, Darius Covington, who is second on the team in net efficiency with 5.2 and has a 0.082 win shares per 48. So the Devils have looked a little bit better than maybe we would have thought. And Harmon has personally been the engine of that. But Covington looking pretty solid as a rookie. Absolutely. Okay, that brings us to the. Um, I just don't want to encourage you to talk about Villanova guys too much. Like I agree with all of you, everything you said. I'm just not going to support you that much when you're talking about Villanova guys. And then you're going to talk about another Villanova guy. Motherfucker, Miami. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know he was Villanova. That was before your time, was it? Or no, was it no, I was here. Okay, so uh, unfortunately, I'm now going to praise a Villanova guy. Um, one of the things that really held the team back last year and um, a little bit uh, was uh, Vasher Alston's performance at the small forward spot. The team obviously ultimately invested in, um, in, in ultimately invested in uh, in the offseason to get um, Kellen Chambers in just because they didn't think that Alston was ready yet. Um, what I think you're seeing this season is I think Alston is is now ready to take on the lion's share of the minutes and and push and push Kellen back into a, a, a much smaller minute role. Uh, right now, Alston has him covered uh, for PER, has him covered for win shares, win shares per thing, uh, has him dramatically better offense uh, as an O rating, better D rating. Um, honestly, there is a case for basically slicing 10 whole minutes straight off Kellen Chambers and dumping it on Alston's head if this current performance um, continues. Um, and what's really unique about it is that his effective field goal rating is at 431, sorry, 531. Um, that's, not out, that's not outrageous. That's pretty sustainable. Um, his turnover rate is, his turnovers are pretty much where they've been in previous years. It hasn't declined dramatically. He's tightened things up defensively. He's getting a little bit more blocks. His playmaking seems a little bit stronger. But yeah, like he's just, he just seems to have solidly increased across the board and uh it looks like it might be time to give him uh the the lion's share of the minutes if this if this holds yeah i mean and part part of this is who he's been playing because he's been coming off the bench and playing second stringers but right now alston has a better defensive rating than reggie goodwin so not sustainable obviously especially if alston gets more minutes but i think he's shown enough and you look at chambers and his ceiling and that he's basically veteraned out 
I think a swap makes a lot of sense here. And I think also that um, it's probably healthy to uh, start that transition sooner rather than later because you have Kellen Chambers MLE finishing at the end of this year anyway. So there's no guarantee that on this team being capped out as they are, he will be back. Um, so it's probably better to get a sense of what life is going to be like after him sooner rather than later. Agreed. Okay, next up, uh, we're talking about the Boston Crusaders. Um, I just wanted to highlight um, my boy, Brandon Kelly. Uh, I miss you. Um, no, look, he's uh, currently uh, taking advantage of the J-Train's absence uh, to record the highest usage of his career, which is still under 20 at 19.5. Um, he has his, probably his, you know, he's using the ball a little bit more, but he's got the best true shooting of his career. Best true shooting of his career. Probably not rebounding quite as well uh, because he's playing a little bit more time at the moment at uh, small forward than he has in past seasons. Uh, he's currently, you know, it's actually pretty even, to be honest. He hasn't played, yeah, playing about the same so far. I think it's been changed since Joe Trent's been out there. But look, you know, his effective field goal shooting is is probably a little bit unsustainable. But even in the games before Joe Trent went out, he he was taking more shots than we'd ever really seen him taking games before and um, has been holding up quite well. So shout out to my boy. I knew you could do it. Uh, who do you want to talk about on this team, Mike? We don't really need to talk about anyone because I don't want to have to mention about Xavion West point zero two four wind shares per forty eight. I don't think we really like need to mention. He's not that. looking like an all star, is he? Uh, depends on. Are we talking J League all stars? I mean, oh, maybe if he was down there. That's, that's a hot take. <laughs> uh, some someone can't come up. Uh, come come up to the moment after Juwan Hughes goes down. So I wasn't going to talk about it. You made me talk about it. A real all-star would step up. Yeah, he would. Or at least a third-team All-Pro, All-JBL team. So, we'll see. It's going to look bad in the history books in time. Okay. <laughs> Is that all you wanted to hit on this team? Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, cool. Uh, moving on to the Louisville Colonels. Um, look, there wasn't anyone I really wanted to jump out and talk about. Look, we could talk about the um, the fact that uh, Haywood's had a pretty good start for a rookie, um, but since that initial couple of games, you know, what you're seeing is that he's having the same kind of statistical struggles that a lot of rookies have. He's producing pretty solidly in terms of an all-round game, in terms of rebounds and assists, but he's still got that, you know, that shitty shooting going on. He's at 370 from the field. Um Baptiste started quite hot in taking over the role, starting point guard role from Sparrow, but he's slowed down a little bit. But Sparrow is determined to like shoot so badly that he's never allowed to see the starting role again. Um, he's really shooting himself in the foot. Um, Thibault's been great, looks pretty sustainable. Um, but the player I actually want to talk about was Taiwan Cook. Um, for some reason, the team isn't a very big fan. Um, I feel like this is one of the situations I was talking about with Luke Steen before. Um, in that, does the Witcher have a ceiling? Um, if he has, he's hit it or he's hitting it. I would imagine. I I, I never uh, understood the fascination with him this past look, off season. But, okay, so uh, look, no, look, the 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 Witcher does have a slightly higher ceiling than where he's at now, but it's it's not a lot. Um, you know, for me, the the Witcher thing is 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 slightly like the Luke Steen and Major Lazer situation we were talking about at we were talking about when it came to the Jags is that, you know, Tywin Cook is a player who 
I know we ragged on him a lot before the draft. I know we did. And I know he's got things that he needs to improve. And I know his scouting says there's lots of weaknesses and little strengths. I, I can't help but feel like this is a great example of a player that we are looking at the grades and not the real and not his actual performance. And we are basically going to tank. And we as a group are going to collectively tank his career as a result. Last year, he played 23 minutes a game and he basically put up, let's say, 10 and 5. This season, he's putting up, he's only getting 14 minutes a game behind Thardyul. You know, easily we could lay off Thard, you know, easily the team could lay off Thardyul's minutes and give him like 32 and at least free up 16 for Cook. Like, there is, he is, he's shooting over 500 from the field, over 533 from effective field goal. He's not turning the ball over basically at all. His usage is at 20 dead even. Like, the dude deserves an opportunity. I appreciate that he doesn't look good at a scouting level, but given his potential, there is something there and you are not going to find it if you play him 14 minutes. Uh, I just, yeah, I I think this team is basically burying him and ending his career. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's a, we're, we're looking at the stars, or not even the stars, but you're looking at the stars and you're looking at the scouting comments too much and not the overall impact on the team and you don't really know unless you play him. And if he doesn't scout well, you're not going to want to play him. So I think that's probably a situation. I, I don't know. And then he's been on the trade block, but there's obviously not been a lot of interest because of the scouting. Maybe maybe there hasn't been interest, but at the same time, has anyone actually, sorry, like maybe there hasn't been interest, but like, what's the price on him? If you're going to play him 30 minutes a game, like, and and you and you want a first, I don't know what he wants back for him, but like, if you want a first for him, you're probably not getting one, right? Like, if you you, you cannot chart, you cannot say, oh, he was, you cannot, you cannot turn around and say, oh, this guy was drafted in the lottery, I want a first back for him, when you refuse yourself to play him. You can't, you can't openly <laughs> shit on a player and channel and yeah. then say, oh, but he was a lottery pick, I want a first for him, you yeah. know? So like, you know, honestly, I'd happily give up a second for him. I'll give. I'll, I'll throw a high second for him, cool. So if it's all, if you want to talk to me, I'll take him off your hands. Um, anyway, moving past him, Miles Randall uh, is the player I want to talk about from Baltimore Bullets. Uh, has probably been. You know, we could talk about Mosley, who's probably a little bit sexier uh, and more exciting, uh, since you think he was the player from that draft who had the most potential. But last year, um, Randall had a usage of twelve. I've let him slide all the way back up to nineteen point four. I'm not artificially trying to hold his shots down. Uh, but so far, really happily with the improvement we've seen from him this year. Last year, he was at effective field goal rating at 493, mainly driven by shooting decently from three-point line. This season, he's, he's sitting at 581. He seems to be benefiting from the spacing uh, generated by playing, um, by playing Diop as a, small, as a tall ball handler at the two who's handles a lot of the offense um, and basically making a living as an open shooter. Yeah. Uh, so Randall's looking quite, quite improved on his first year in the league. Yeah. I think, um, I think he stands out. I think Mosley stands out. He's going to get more opportunities with Malone gone. So, I mean, you've full time center now. <coughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. been a little disappointing, but, like you said, you're not expecting to be good necessarily this year. So it'll be interesting to see if that starting lineup holds up now with Malone competition out of the way. Yep. Uh, if it does, I'll feel really good. If it doesn't, I'll feel uh, all right. <laughs> Look, I think given a tight market for center, the offer I got, the deal I made for Malone is, is, is pretty fair. Uh, I think we've 
But at the same time, like if uh, it turns out that this unlocks that more of that starting lineup and that holds, um, I'll be thrilled. I'll be thrilled. But certainly it's a small sample size that I am banking on continuing. Uh, and that brings us to the second last team, which is the Minneapolis Blizzards. And the player I wanted to call out was the uh, player who recently signed a max extension. Was it a max extension? No, it wasn't a max. Was it? Or was uh, it second? Pretty close to it. it. Could have been high. Yeah, let me look. Could it have been 24? 20, which was a was max. That, was four, four for 20 with a player option. Was that the max or could he have gotten 24? Well, the max is two. No, he could. Um, well, good point. He could have gotten 24, I think. Yeah, I think, he, I think he was eligible for 24. Yeah. Yes, he was. Okay, so he didn't pay. He's on a max contract, but not the max max for his age. Um, I just find it really funny that, um, you know, it's really easy to look at this team and look at the, uh, the uh, increase in scoring by Mobley, who seems to really come in, be coming into his own, although he is still turning the ball over too much. Uh, but what it is really curious for this team so far is that Slay has suddenly got the lowest usage rate of his entire career. He is sub-15. Uh, Slay has quietly started this season off pretty badly. Uh, he is not shooting particularly well from the field, uh, and that's not you know three-point variation because he has not taken a single three yet this season. He's gone full Ben Simmons. Um, yeah, he's just... Look at a little bit out of sorts so far. Yeah, it's it's still early. I think you know, obviously. Although you know, I'd, I'd have to look and see his like how he started the last year to see if there's any kind of trend or anything. But this Minneapolis Blizzards team also they changed their head coach, if I remember correctly, right? They didn't change their system, but they do have a different head coach. I'm wondering if there's some growing pains going on with that. Could well be, but no. What what has surprised me is not like it, what has surprised me there is that that's a usage issue, not just a variation of shooting issue. And when I see the shots, you know, when I see a bad field goal, I'm like, okay, well that will stabilize. But when I see usage ones, that's where I get a little bit curious. Um, the last player for the evening and the very thick last thing we're talking about at this podcast, we are at the Oklahoma City Barons, and the last player to talk about is. Mr. Adam Vanderberg Dutch. I think this will be the last time we talk about him on a podcast because he's already boring me. Um, <laughs> uh, look, there are some healthy signs here. His PR is almost at 20. Uh, he has positive wind shares so far this season. He has positive wind shares per 48 this season. His BPM is still negative, but like lots of players on bad teams have bad BPMs. His VORP's even. His uh, O rating is the best level of his career. Um, there's two things here I think that are, uh, are interesting when we talk about small sample size and whether they're going to recede. Um, right now, you would have to say his effective field goal where it is sitting is actually pretty solid. Like, I, it's pretty much on his career number. What worries me is that his turnover rate has gone from 14.1 to 8.4, despite the fact that his usage is held steady at 36.2. Do you reckon that's sustainable, Mike? Uh, nope, it is not sustainable. Yeah, I, I think that what you're seeing right now is an offense rating and a lot of statistics, advanced measures that are um, basically floated in the case of Dutch by his currently low turnover rate. Uh, basically, last season he was at four this season, uh, despite basically the same usage, in fact, even slightly higher shots attempts per game. He's down to 2.29. I doubt there is a single offensive player in this league who has over 20 shots per game that is even close to a number that low, unless they're like a post post. Unless they're a freaky freaky player. Um, 
I think Jay, I think the only one who'd be close would be Masaya as a power forward, I reckon, who has a shot tally that high and that lower turnover number. Um, that's not sustainable. And I think what you'll see, with we talked about the um, the Barons having a really high offensive rating. I think what you'll see is that eventually Dutch's turnovers will, will start to move back upwards, upwards of three. Uh, and if they do hit over three, then you'll start to see that that team's O rating actually start to collapse a little bit. I agree. And that's a a good place to end it, I think. So what we learned to, what we learned tonight is uh, Darth Jader is a cool nickname, and you know that you need to ask permission before you pee on people. So we learned a lot today. If only I could have learned that on International Women's Day. Okay, that's enough. We're stopping now. Um, uh, we so, so, we will be back on Thursday with uh, the uh, Panic Index. Always loved which I, and beloved. Which I somehow need to manage to squeeze out despite having wiping out my entire day on Wednesday. But yes, there will be a Panic Index. You will see all your regular scheduled Panic Index friends like Kyle and Calvin or Kyle Elvin um, <laughs> present at the top of the charts. Uh, but maybe there'll be some uh, extra special guests up the top of the level of the charts this year. So uh, we will see you all on Thursday. Thank you for listening and talk soon. Have a good one.